Glad you're all here this morning. It's interesting. I hope you're glad when you leave um, that you were here. I came to Tony at some point this week, and I was like, after studying and everything, I was just like, woo, look out. This week, this week's a tough one. <laughs> and I told her what it was on, and she was kind of like, really? <laughs> and in that moment, it occurred to me, maybe it's tough for me because it's <laughs> to me. So anyway, I'm sure God has something to say to all of us this morning as we look at Philippians chapter 2. We continue in this series. But C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, that we all went through, um, he entitled one whole chapter, The Great Sin. The Great Sin. And this is what that chapter was about. There's a quote pulled from it. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Oh, those are some strong words. But he's right. A brief scan of scripture will show us what God thinks of pride. A brief scan of history will show us what it has done to nation after nation and family after family and society after society and relationship after relationship. It is what made demons out of angels. Pride says, me before you. And that begins in our flesh with our relationship with God. Every one of us, right? Me before you. And then it spreads to every relationship in our lives. And pride takes on several different forms and they're not always easy to recognize. So we're going to look into that a little bit this morning. You and I can say, I desire to grow in my faith. I desire to, to grow in my walk with Christ. We can read about it. We can sing about it. We can pray about it even. But until the sin of pride is put to death in my heart and your heart, I will not grow in my faith. And listen, you cannot even pro approach the throne of God with pride. In the book of Philippians, as we continue our message series, the Apostle Paul is encouraging Christians, right, to move forward in their faith, which is a series title. He's encouraging them, challenging them to grow in their walk with Christ. In chapter 1, which we, we just left last week and the week before, Paul was calling the Philippians to grow in love with understanding and discernment, to grow in confidence in the power and salvation of God in Christ Jesus and trust more and more in Christ and less and less in the world and the message of self-reliance and self-worship that's everywhere. And so in chapter 2, as we come here to verse 1, Paul begins to address what really is the poison, the sickness that can hinder that confidence, can hinder our growing in our faith and also keep us from living in unity with one another in the body of Christ. 
and in our families. So I'll begin reading Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count in equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation." among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, this morning we come seeking you, seeking to know you more, seeking to know your will for our lives, asking you, God, to shine the light of your word and your Holy Spirit on every one of our hearts. Show us, God, those places that we have kept from you. And may we be obedient as you lead us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title for today's message is The Cure for Pride. And as I said, um, Paul is continuing his letter from chapter 1. In chapter 1, he spoke of this confidence above all things. Confidence in life and in death, in hardship and in prison, that it was all in Jesus Christ. And listen, for you and I this morning, we can have full confidence in Jesus because of what he's done on the cross. He has sealed us with his blood and his Holy Spirit. We can have confidence in every situation. But Paul goes into a bigger, or one of the biggest dangers in our Christian walk. He begins chapter 2 with this word so, right? That word so is also translated, uh, translated therefore. Meaning, because of all that we just talked about last week, because of the confidence you can have and you have in God's sovereignty, in His power, in His character, in His salvation, in His love, because of all that, this. And he writes a couple rhetorical statements here. 
If there is any encouragement in Christ, and there is, he talked about that. Any comfort from love, yes. Any participation in the Spirit, yes. Any affection and sympathy. So what he's saying is, if all of that is true, therefore, since all of that is true, you have a choice. You and I have a choice every day. Everything we have been, uh, everything we need has been given to us. Uh, the encouragement, comfort, love, affection, sympathy. It's all been given to us. However, if you look around the condition of the church today, in many places, the condition of our families, our homes, our culture, and the world, there is disunity, there is conflict, there is corruption, and that's not Christ. It's a disease that we are all infected in our flesh, and it continues to infect the world around us. And it's the very disease that Jesus came to cure, the idol of self, and that is pride. And so in this passage, we're going to look at what it looks like to live with this disease, to be bound by pride, and what it means, what it looks like to be healed and walk in freedom from it. First of all, the picture of this sickness, right? Pride, the picture of this. Paul begins by describing this beautiful picture in this passage of love and unity. And that's easy to give lip service to, right? But he, he, he does this interweaving of positive and negative, of warnings and admonition. He says, having the same love, in verse 2, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interest, but also the interest of others. So he's giving a picture here of what it looks like to walk in this healing, God's desire for us, and what it looks like to be sick with pride. Buddy Robinson, old-style tent revival preacher, said, Pride is the only disease that makes everyone sick but the one who has it. Now, there's a lot of truth in some of that. It does make people around us sick when we carry around pride. But pride affects you. Pride affects me as well. Spiritually, emotionally, physically even. Pride is a killer, and that's what Paul is warning them about here. He paints this picture of confidence and preferring one another, this love and this unity, but he gives them warning. If pride is there, we'll fall short every time. He uses a couple phrases here. He says, um, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition. Basically, to be concerned only with my own needs and my own um, good. It's being self-absorbed. Now, this is, a sneaky, this is a sneaky form of pride. Because it seems like, it seems like maybe I'm just affecting myself. But what self-centeredness is saying is, I'm more important than you. You might not think it's a big deal. Like, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just trying to get ahead of it. No, it's telling the people around you, the people in your family, the people in your church, I'm more important than you. And so I am going to be my focus, my ambition. In the Screwtape Letters, another book by C.S. Lewis, there's this passage in there where he's talking about, you know, the uncle 
demon and wormwood and they're talking and, and the uncle is giving him advice and he's saying, listen, try to make your patient believe that the desired end in his humility is low self-esteem rather than a positive self-forgetness, uh, self-forgetfulness, sorry, that allows him to better serve the enemy, which is God. What he's saying there is convince him that, okay, I need to try and be humble. I need to try and not be proud. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have low self-esteem. I'm going to put myself down. That's not what it is. What he's calling us to do is stop focusing on myself. Focusing on myself automatically makes me proud. Focusing on my achievements, on setting my life up in such a way that I'm comfortable. And he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. This Greek word means empty glory. Empty conceit. It's a facade. It's empty. It's built out of insecurity, actually. To be hungry for respect and assurance because deep down inside, I feel like I'm fighting the feeling that I don't count. For a lot of people, it's better to be hated and attacked than to be ignored, right? In, a, in my pride, the worst thing is to be dismissed. So in an effort to be counted... I have this self-empty conceit, this driving force within me to achieve that, to get that from people. Honestly, pride is a result of brokenness. Pride is a result of me being hurt. And so my life is living in reaction to that. You know, me as a young man, I still struggle with this. This is a killer, pride. The desire to be respected and not dismissed. And as a young man, it was really bad in me. And I don't know what it was from. You know, when, he, when, I, when you think about pride coming from being hurt, because that's not naturally what I think about, when I think about that and I reflect on my life, I'm not real sure what it was. I, was. I went to a big high school in Miami. I was a little guy. Maybe it was just that I felt like I needed to, you know, puff up all the time. Maybe it's because I had an older brother who was beating on me all the time. And so that developed that in me. Maybe it was in my, the relationships that I saw in my family were so broken that I was, I was going to defend myself against that. I see all of that in me. But you know what I think it really was? It was being disappointed in the world, being disappointed in those around me. You know, as a child, as a child, you're hoping for, you're wishing for an ideal life. You're, you're, you're hoping the best from everybody and, as you grow, you begin to see that's not how life is. That's not how life is. And so we begin to build walls. I begin to build a fortress around my heart and around my life. This is the way of the world. This is the way that the world copes. He said that in verse 15. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, we should shine like lights in not being that way. You know, when street gangs get, when street gangs get in wars, turf wars, or... Use the mafia, for example. Maybe you ever watch mafia movies, whatever. What's the, what's the thing that triggers most of these gang fights and these wars? It's disrespect. And I can just tell you, because the high school I went to was full of it. 
disrespect, if somehow you showed disrespect by going to the wrong place, saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, it was disrespect. Why? Because that came from brokenness. Because these, these people are together because they're broken. Because they're seeking acceptance. They've been, they've been torn apart somewhere. They've been broken. And so they're fighting for legitimacy. We all do that. We all do that in pride. We're fighting to be counted. It comes from insecurity. Swagger, ultimately, is a bluff. Because here's the thing, we were, made to be, we were made to last forever, right? We were made to count. But when we seek to be counted and to get value apart from Jesus, then we have this sense that we're fading. We're struggling to keep value and meaning in our life. We're desperately looking to everyone to say we are worthwhile and significant. Where pride is in control and we're fighting for respect and to be accepted, there's brokenness. And we say, you know, pride oftentimes is a struggle to be respected. And that sounds like a good thing. Of course, you want to, everybody wants to be. But the problem is in our flesh, we have, we have it intermingled with a sense of recognition or worth given from others. You can't give me that worth. Jesus gives me that worth and that value. Jonathan Edwards, this is a great battle. This, this battle to defeat pride in our lives. The great Jonathan Edwards, who was an 18th century theologian and pastor, he talked about pride being marked by a few things. I'm just going to take the first couple here, first four. He says, pride is marked by, first of all, drivenness. This pursuit of, quote unquote, excellence. Right? It's usually driven by a vacuum. I'm always unhappy with myself. I'm always happy, unhappy with others. See, humility is content. Not in failure necessarily, but with imperfection. That's the selfish, selfish ambition he's talking about before. I want to succeed because I want to be recognized. Not necessarily, that's why I'm saying it's so subtle sometimes. Deep down in our hearts, we're confirming ourselves. We're building ourselves up. So he says drivenness, scornfulness, putting others down, overly critical of others. It's a, it's a self-preservation technique. You notice the one who desires to be the life of the party is always kind of aggravated when it's somebody else. That person, yeah, I can be a little more critical of them because deep down inside, I want, the, I want the recognition. I want that spot. It's tough. So I scoff. I find faults in you and I don't even understand or realize that I'm doing that. And that kind of pride is hard to lead. Cannot be led because that goes to his next, Jonathan Edwards says, pride is marked by willfulness. Always absolutely sure of every point of my beliefs. I can't take advice. I hate corrections and I'm not teachable. There's always a touche. You notice that. It's always like if you, if you call them out on something or if you have a conversation, you're trying to help them with something. There's always something. Yeah, yeah, but what about you? Or what about them? Or what about 
this other thing. There's always a touche. Proverbs 9, 8, and 9 talks about this. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. And then finally, self-consciousness he talks about. This is a strange one. This is a different form of pride, the self-consciousness. This is pride and insecurity. Feeling it, this inferiority complex, it doesn't always present itself that way, but sometimes it does, you know. Afraid of compliments. There's something, there's a fear deep down inside that I'm going to be found out. The world celebrates these things, presses into these things. You do you. You take care of you. What we've done as a culture is decided to celebrate these things. Not to accept it. I mean, uh, to not only accept it, but encourage it. We've done that with so many things in our culture. It's like, it's like a man who has leprosy saying, hey, look at my nice tan. No, we can't change the truth. It's a disease and it kills. Kills families. It kills faith. Tears up churches. It's a deadly disease. And God has an opinion of it. Proverbs 16.5, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Proverbs 8.13, I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Proverbs 16.18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And then Jesus, Luke 14.11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Listen, I can just tell you, this passage of Scripture hit me right between the eyes. Because, see, we all see these qualities in other people. But I'll tell you what God did with me this week. He brought it right between my eyes. This is me. This is all of us in our flesh. Some, some degree or another, it's this tiger at the door crouching, ready to pounce in all of us. And so the first step this morning is for you and I to say, Lord, show me where this is in my life. Show me where it exists in my own heart. And so we see that sickness. But also, there's a picture of health here. There's, there's hope here. There's the way of Christ. There's this humility. He says in verse 3, But in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This word, the Greek word for humility here means gentle and modest. It's interesting, Tim Keller, I read this past week, he said, New Yorkers look at the idea of humility like a calf stares at a new gate. Confused. I don't know if you're not from the country, you might not know what that means, but you put up a new gate in the fence somewhere and the cows aren't used to it being there. They just kind of look at it. What, what is that? And New Yorkers, we're proud. New Yorkers work hard. We're, we're in the grind. It's hard. Humility. You start talking about humility. Wait a minute, what? Not exactly sure what that means. And interestingly enough, Paul, in this society that he's communicating here, this word is used in a detrimental way. It's the idea of a slave, this humility. Respect in this day and age, where Paul is writing, was based on fear. But 270 times is this used in Scripture positively. This was a revolutionary thought in this day and age where Paul is writing, that humility could somehow be strength. 
Like I said, in our culture, humility is interpreted, interpreted as weakness. And the thing is, everyone is so aggressive today, right? Often we respond in the same way. It's easy, it's easy for me to walk down the sidewalk and get, get to the end of the block and my fists are clenched. We buy into the lie that I must be heard. And that means shouting above the crowd. Everyone is shouting today and no one is being heard. And I'm just going to throw my voice in there. Listen, I know you think the world needs to hear your opinion on every single thing and mine. I often think that. They don't. Because not only are we not being heard when we jump in the fray the same way that the world does with bolstering and not humility, we're not being heard and we're not growing in our faith because God hates that. G.K. Chesterton, genius theologian, very smart guy, wrote all these theological books, doctrinal books. He said there's three things necessary to grow in Christ. Write these down because this is huge. Humility, humility, humility. It's a big deal. It is necessary for our growth in Jesus to see beyond ourselves to what God might be saying to me today that he didn't say yesterday, but he's pressing into me today. And we have a promise, James 4, 6. He gives more grace. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Thank you, Lord. And ultimately, humility looks like Jesus. And Jesus did have something to say that changed the world. But he didn't do it by yelling it the loudest. He didn't do it by screaming at the Romans. You know how he did it? Isaiah 53, 7 tells us. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So what does that mean? That means that Jesus knew that his life and death had a bigger purpose than just his immediate protection or his immediate safety. He was confident that God was working out a plan in his life, and so he was not panicked. He was not desperate. He was not thinking about his temporary well-being. Remember Paul said in chapter 1, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He had a whole different view, Paul, Jesus, a whole different view of what success was. And the thing is, I am biting my tongue. I am humbling myself before God, not necessarily for you. It's first and foremost before God. I'm putting myself, I'm humbling myself below Jesus. He says in verse 4, let, not each, let each of you not only look to his own interest, but also the interest of others. He's not saying I don't look out for my own interest. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, have the attitude of others before me. Have the attitude of God has a plan for me. He's working. Everybody I meet, he's working through me in their lives. Again, it's about taking self off the throne and focus of my life and putting it on Jesus. Humility is not, allow, is not this. It's not allowing myself to be trampled or abused. That's not what he's saying. 
It's not not speaking the truth, right? On the contrary, it's speaking the truth in love. I find that most of us are either bold in speaking the truth or in the loving part. I'm either a truth teller and I'll tell you how it is and too bad if you don't like it, or I'm good at making peace and not having conflict and being careful not to hurt anybody's feelings. But to do both of those things is a Jesus thing. Humility is also not not celebrating God's gifts in me. It's not not stepping out in bold faith or putting myself down. I used to have a friend who used to tell me all the time, listen, man, that's just pseudo-humility. I was like, what does that mean? He's like, you're just like trying to say you're humble. You're just trying to say, okay, it's not me, it's, it's you. He's like, but it's, it's bogus, it's insecurity. I can see you're just afraid. And fear is pride. Humility is recognizing my total dependence on Jesus. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you have not received? That's really what a humble spirit is about. That's about realizing nothing I have did I, was I not given by the grace of God. So how do we kill pride and grow in humility? Remember what John the Baptist said as we come to this last point? He said, Christ must increase and I must decrease. The cure is Jesus. Jesus himself. He says in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Look to Jesus. Press into him. Turn your obsession with yourself and what people think of you and how you look. And if you're accomplishing your ambitions in life, Turn it to an obsession with Christ in your life. Paul told us how he was so confident in chapter 1, remember? He's bold in all these things. Be, having a humble spirit is not about weakness. It's about true, true strength, but strength in Jesus. Listen, if you come to Jesus this morning with pride, you'll be turned away. That is how we come that is how we destroy ourselves eternally, is to come to Christ with pride and not humility. It's the gospel. It's Jesus working in my heart and life, and it begins at the cross. To come to faith in Jesus means I recognize my absolute brokenness, right, and my sinfulness. That step is so necessary because it resets my perspective of myself. Yes, I am sinful, Yes, I need grace, and I am just like you. Listen, Christian, when you look at the most sinful person you can think of, do you see yourself? Do you see? But for the grace of God, there go I. That's what coming to the foot of the cross is. It recognizes all I have is in Jesus. It's not anything that I've earned it's not trying to be humble. It is, trying, it is pressing into Christ, making him my focus. Interesting passage right there in verse 6. He says, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Sorry, I lost my 
spot. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What Paul is calling the church to and to you to is a mindset. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's a mindset that thinks of you first, thinks of others first. It doesn't think of myself first. That passage, he says, though he was in the form of God. What does that mean? That word was means being. It's from the ancient Greek. It describes how a man is in his very essence. It cannot be changed. He was. So Jesus' divine nature was still with Jesus. He knew who he was. He had it. He wasn't trying to achieve equality with the Father. You and I are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to try and achieve holiness, righteousness. It's in Jesus. We don't have to be desperate for the approval of man. We are already approved of. We are already cared for. You are already loved. You can have confidence in that. That's what our boasting is in. That's what my identity is in. My affirmation, my acceptance, my worthiness comes from Jesus. It doesn't come from you. So when you and I are in relationship with one another, I'm not asking you to give me all that. I got that. What I'm asking is Jesus to work through me into your life. That's what he's called us to do. That's what it means to walk with Christ in humility. It says he emptied himself. What did Jesus empty himself? Not his deity. He didn't empty himself of that, but his rights. He emptied himself of his glory and beauty. He became small. He became rejectable to pursue you, to demonstrate his love for you, everything that you and I are fighting for, Jesus had. But he didn't call on it. He didn't say, I'm God, I'm not getting on that cross. I'm pure and holy, I'm not doing that. We try to fill ourselves and yet we're empty. Jesus emptied himself and he was full. And so I said earlier, Pride comes from being hurt, right? Broken at some point. And so, is what we're saying, is what Paul is saying that the answer is to make myself vulnerable again? To being hurt? To being treated unfairly? Do I make myself prone? Yes. But here's the thing. Not to each other. To Jesus first and foremost. To make my heart vulnerable to Him and to His will for my life. His will in my relationships. His will in my career. His will in my family. Make yourself vulnerable to Him. Humble yourself under His mighty hand. Because you can't do this. You and I can't do it. I know that I can't do it. Those closest to me can tell you how much I fail at it. Jesus can do it. 
was, I don't know, this just came to my mind, but Tony remembers, uh, there was a point in my life where, oh, never mind. <laughs> I was very prideful. But here's the question for me this morning and for you. Are you decreasing? Are you decreasing? And is Jesus increasing? He said in verse 2, complete my joy by being the same mind. This is the secret to joy. My pride chokes me. Your pride is trying to choke you. Your pride and my pride is trying to keep my life centered on me and not until I break out of that, fix my eyes on Jesus and what he would do through me to a lost and broken world around me. Yes, even Christians, I show up on Sunday morning. That's one of the things I pray on Sunday morning. I don't know about you. God, help us treat each other well today. Have you been around churches a while? But I have. Help us to consider one another better than ourselves today because it's not easy and I can't do it on my own. I need Jesus to do that in me and through me and so do you. Remember, I've said when we come to Christ, our life is no longer about us. C.S. Lewis also said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Life becomes about Jesus. I'm thinking about Christ and how he would move in me to touch others. And here's the thing. One day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. So Christian, finally, let me just encourage you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's how we grow out of this. This is how I look back on my life 20 or 30 years ago and I see misery choked with pride. And I see Jesus becoming more in me. It's still a battle. The flesh is still there. That's why I have to keep running to Jesus. Organize your days around spending time in His Word, time in prayer, time quiet before Him. Some of us bend over backwards to get to the gym. I don't. I have a membership, but I don't do that. Some of us make sure we're on Instagram. The first thing we do when we wake up in the morning is this. Anything new happening? Facebook. Some of us want to read the paper. We make sure we read the paper every day or, or read a good book. Listen, everything that's not Jesus in your life is seeking to build walls in you. This culture, every message that's coming out, as we process it in our flesh, we start to build a fortress around our hearts and lives. We've got to keep our hearts tender before the Lord. Come, seek after Him. And as you walk in that faith, as you walk in that relationship, as you turn your obsession from self to Jesus, you'll begin to see that cure taking place. You'll begin to see my self-centeredness begin to, to diminish my desire to please Christ to grow, and then I can fulfill the great commandment, which is to love God with everything and to look and love to, at the needs and to the hearts of those around me who are broken and who God would take me and um, choose to use me in their lives. And it all begins at the foot of the cross. So I encourage you today. Pride is a killer. Pride affects us spiritually, emotionally, 
C.S. Lewis is right on the money there. Pride has destroyed more nations and families than any other sin. Let's lay it at the feet of Jesus this morning. Lord God, thank you for your love and grace. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins, God. Thank you that even in this message that hits me right between the eyes, God, that you, you bring it to us by your Holy Spirit in love and in grace and in patience, calling us to surrender more and more of our lives to you that we might walk in joy. God, that I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be hindered by my own desire to be respected or approved of, that I would not walk around in aggravation and annoyance because others, I am interpreting others being guilty of what I struggle with or feel like I've conquered or whatever it might be, God. I want to walk in freedom and enjoy. Help us this morning, God. We want to love one another. We want to be unified doesn't mean we agree on everything. doesn't mean we see everything exactly the same, but it means that we prefer one another better than ourselves. And we see first and foremost our lives under your banner. So God, have your way this morning. That we might be lights in a dark and twisted and perverse world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, glad you all came this morning. Hope you are. Um, we have a few announcements. D groups. D groups are continuing. We had our interns leave, but we were going to shift stuff around a little bit so everybody could stay in a D group. Keep on going through Ephesians. I apologize. Sometimes I, it's halfway through the week or later when I send out that little commentary, but um, keep those up. It's important. Um, and it's only going to be for a little while longer, and then we'll be back in small groups in the fall. Connect card if you haven't filled one out. We all look like home folks here. Um, you know all our stuff that we're on. Make sure that you get on there and check it out. I also want to say something about summer Sundays in the park. You know, we were going to do that last week. It rained. I think it's going to rain again today, so we're waiting. But the next opportunity on Sunday afternoon that we have, that it looks like a nice day, we're going to go to the park and play Frisbee and kickball or whatever, just hang out together. And uh, feel free to invite, invite folks uh, with you. Um, I just want to mention also... We're on watch for little Jake coming with uh, Ashley and Wes this week, so be in prayer for them and, uh, at any moment. Not, not now, but um, this week. So <laughs> You're, She's ready. All right. Um, all right, let me pray and dismiss this. God, thank you. Uh, Lord, that's, that's what wants to come out of my mouth first in every prayer is just thank you. God, because I know that there's nothing that I have that I haven't been given. And Lord, we know that there's nothing that we've been given in the kingdom that you didn't give to us. Lord, there's no grace that we have, no mercy, no love, no affection, um, kindness from you that is not given to us out of your goodness, out of your grace. And so, Lord, we want to demonstrate that in our lives. And so we want more of you, God. So. Help us this week to press into you. And God, I just pray specifically this week for us in this room or, or professing Christians, God, as we go through this week, Lord, I, I pray that we would be slow to speak. Oftentimes this, this uh, pride or uh, selfish ambition or conceit, 
demonstrates itself in our unwillingness to listen. Um, God, we're often trying to figure out what we're going to say next. Lord, help us to listen because, because we have the mindset of Christ that we are, we are in these relationships, we are in these conversations, not because of what we have to say, but because you want us to bear the burdens of those around us. And so we've got to know those burdens. We've got, to, we've got to hear those burdens. And so help us to be slow to speak, but then bold, God, ready and willing um, to love. So thank you for loving us first. And Lord, guide and direct us as we leave this place in Jesus' name. Amen.